Well, welcome. I want to welcome you today to KennyMack.com podcast. My name is Kenny Mack, and uh, we're so glad you decided to join us. And today we have on the phone, we have a very good friend of mine. His name is Joe Dillon. And you know what? I have learned so much from Joe over the last 12, 13 years of knowing him. He currently works with the International Mission Board. Uh, Prior to that, he was a missionary with our mission board, then became a pastor. And now he works again with our mission board and helping churches. So, Joe, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here, Kenny. All right. Well, here's the thing I wanted to have Joe on for, for those in the listening audience is Joe travels around and not only does he have on field missionary experience, but he now has 13 years of working with literally thousands of churches trying to learn how to help them and uh, to move forward in their missional experience and their mission sending, going, being a part of missions. And so, Joe, you know, in our conversations, one of the things that just intrigued me is I wanted to ask you, what is one of the things or maybe several of the things that you weren't expecting that you found out about churches as you met with them? Well, that's a good question, Ken. Um, There are a lot of things that uh, emerge over a period of time of working with, uh, let's just say churches A to Z, a small uh, church plant or small church that's maybe an older aging congregation, uh, all the way up to a very, you know, dynamic, quote, megachurch type situation. Yeah. Uh, You would think that they're dissimilar, uh, but the reality is, is that over a period of time, patterns and personalities begin to emerge in both the life of the church and the pastors or leaders, missional leaders that you're dealing with. Okay. Okay. Could you maybe flesh that out for us a little bit with some examples? Well, uh, for example, I heard this years ago and it really, it really has a specific application. Uh, Someone once said that uh, the Jewish community understood what they'd call life cycles of a, of a male in order to use the energy of masculinity in a positive way in the culture. And I think as I remember the life cycles, uh, it was infancy, childhood, and then that stage where a man becomes aware of his sexuality. And I guess it's where, you know, you go from girls are yucky to, hey, nice. Uh, And then the warrior (laughs) stage, the warrior stage, uh, the coach stage, or the king stage, the coach stage, and the sage stage. Okay. And what I, what I found out is that in working with pastors is that uh, age division wasn't always specific, but sometimes it was that a man did tend to move through stages in his life. And working with him in an, a stage-appropriate way uh-huh. was important in order for us to make progress. Okay. So that would be true of the leaders of churches and congregations. But what I also found out was that that was true uh, in the life of a church, too, that ah. churches have definable life cycles. And huh. understanding where that church is okay. is a key to making progress. Okay. What would you say, and this is just a random question here, what would you say is 
what do you see the most of? Let me ask you that question. And, and again, audience, uh, Joe deals mainly with uh, Southern Baptist churches that are in uh, this denomination that we work with. But uh, my guess is it probably transcends to all denominations and all independent churches. But what would you say is the most you see of when you go to a church? What stage would they be in? Well, again, it, it every church is unique. It's kind of like, you know, individual persons. And that's one of the mistakes we make as pastors and leaders is thinking that when we arrive, the history begins. Unless it's a church plant, that's simply not true. Mm. Even even in a church plant, it has a history. It has the history of its pastor. Oh, okay. And, yeah. And the particular perspective he brings into ministry and has to do with the cycle that he's in in his life. Okay. Cool. Cool. Well, let me ask you this. Let's start with what would be um, like beginning stages? What would a church plant look like? What would that life cycle look like when you go well, in to assess them? And how would you work with them? It, 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 it really is kind of follows a normal pattern of life. When you think of birth and childhood, it's a period of extreme excitement. Okay. It's, it's also a tenuous time. You know, children are more prone to disease and weakness than they are as they kind of mature and build up their immunity system. Right. So church plants uh, begin with a lot of hope, a lot of expectation. I don't know what the numbers are, but I think the numbers of church plant failure is pretty significant. Okay. I have heard the number of 85% before. I don't know if that's that, ladies and gentlemen, that's not a data you know, uh, reference point that I can give you for sure, but that's the number I've heard thrown out a lot. Well, I hate, I hate, I hate to use this illustration, but you know, sometimes when I'm out visiting, I'll go to old cemeteries just to, just to wander around. And you'll notice back a long time ago, a lot of, a lot of families had a lot of children who didn't make it. Uh, okay. And, okay. and th- that's one side of it, but uh, the birth always begins with anticipation and excitement. Yeah. It's, it's an incredible time to get, missions are a missional mindset into the DNA of the church. In America, we tend to think that happens later. Huh. The reality is that is one of the reasons we're not a very missional church. And our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world, especially in China, that's from the get-go. The expectation is you're going to be engaging your world with the gospel. Wow. Wow. And we've seen... <laughs> If, if, if the lowest numbers I've seen are phenomenal at best at what God's doing among those small house churches, groups that are beginning to form, man, they are they are going at an incredible rate, if I'm understanding things correctly. Yeah. And, you know, I think that uh, dealing with that church, uh, you know, it's not there's not maturity there. Uh, there are, again, a lot of, of hyper expectations that are generalized and not very specific Uh helping a congregation like that become more dna focused uh which would be intentionality by the lead pastor to move his churches uh his people towards engaging the nations as well as his own local community uh is very important uh the the reality is many of them tend to be helicopter pilot uh, parents okay and 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 like explain what do you mean how does that look like in a church well it's it's just survival Oh, so, okay. so it's like, I'm going to take care of this baby. I don't want anything to ha- hurt this baby. We've got to, ah. we, they're not very aggressive in, in, in getting out there and engaging evangelistically sometimes 
because they're more concerned about the mechanisms and the structures of the sending church. We know what the mother church looks like, and that's what we want to look like, but they're not ready for that. Wow. So there's, they're kind of, yeah, risk adverse. They don't want to take risk and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, they're risk adverse. Uh, they often have a model or a pattern that served the context of the planning church or served the context of the planning pastor but it's not the reality huh. of their context. Wow. Wow. Okay. So we, we've come through the church plant. It's difficult. How do you move a church like that? What do you, what do you usually tell them when you go into a church plant? I mean, do you just say, Hey, you need to be missional or what do you say? Well, you know, they often have already, they're thinking in terms of developing uh, partnerships with sustaining churches. And I encourage them to begin to develop partnerships with missionaries and even to begin at the beginning with sustaining relationships with other church planning pastors. Well, and again, okay. it's one of the, one of the principles we've learned is you become what you celebrate. Mm, so if you, good. if you celebrate a band with a, a, you know, a smoke machine, then that's what your people will value. If that's your objective, that's your goals are, you know, what I call, a, a, you know, potholes in parking lots, shag carpet in the sanctuary and mildew on the steeples. If that if if your if your values are institutional as a young pastor because those were the values given to you, then that's what your the values of your congregation becomes. Wow, you know I, I, I've seen that a lot. To be honest with you, in a lot of young guys and pastors that have planted churches, um, you know the values are are more about what's going on on Sunday morning, which we want to make sure Sunday morning's good. There's nothing wrong with that. But I've seen that a lot with, like, you mentioned the smoke machines and stuff like that. But how hard is it to move those pastors out of that into a missional mindset if they're not there yet? And usually, I guess I, w- I, guess I would say, too, that if they've contacted you, they're wanting to move to a missional mindset. And so that's true. Uh, that may be a pretty easy transition for you to move them into it. How hard is it to move out of maybe those values of the mother church? Is that is that usually what you try to do or? What do you do in those cases? Well, I, you know, there's several things that come to mind. Number one is you're right. I, I often say I'm very fortunate uh, in a God, you know, in a God way, in the yeah. sense that I, you know, they've called me. So they're, they're already of that mindset. Uh, but the reality is uh, for churches, it's really like the parable of seed and the sower. You know, some of them, you're just going to plant, you're going to throw your seed out and it's going to be disappear for others. It's going to, it's going to, they're going to receive it initially but the cares of the world the cares of the institutionalized church are going to kind of grow up and that's going to overwhelm the missional seed and then for 25 percent of them you know a percentage of them uh it's going to bear fruit and that's mm-hmm. where you've got to uh you utilize your energies is where those who later demonstrate uh fruit bearing capacity yeah what are some you know and i'm sitting here thinking i i can i can sympathize with church plant pastors who are saying, you know what, I can barely stay afloat. I don't have that many people here. What would you tell them? I mean, you, you know, <laughs> they say, I don't have that much money to give to missional endeavors. How do you help them see that there's ways that they can engage without spending a ton of money? Well, you know, you know what are, or what are some ways? Well, I mean, that's question. Your, your, your question postulates a purely North American context. Mm. I was in China uh, back a few years ago talking to a leader of house church groupings, which numbered in the millions. And he was telling me that if a church 
is meeting for a year and is having more than 10 in attendance and hasn't started another church, they consider it dysfunctional. And, wow. and after kind of a little accountability and discipline, if they continue on without a missional mindset, the church is leader is removed. Wow. So that's incredible. I, I brought, I brought up your observation about what, do they have the resources uh, to accomplish this? And his response would, we would dismiss it, I think, but I think he was sober and serious. He said, what he said is we have prayer and the spirit of God. We have all that we need. Wow. So, wow. so that's very confronting to us. Is, it is because we need X, Y, Z. We need the church planner kit from them. We need the mother church to give us 5,000 chairs. We need this and that and the other. And their attitude of the fastest growing church in the world is we have all that we need. Man, Joe, that is so good. That reminds me of a, of a, of a gentleman that was a mentor to me. And I think, you know, him too, he's passed away is Dr. Jim Slack, who was a strategist with the international mission board. And I had the privilege of spending seven months with him. Uh, I would just go up since I live close and he would down spend the whole day with me and download it. And, And one of the things that really piqued my interest, he said, the average church plant is $2 million over. I don't know how much time. And it yielded, a hundred people. And I thought, wow. And so I went to a friend that was, uh, they were building a a new sanctuary and I said, okay, in your church, um, you know, your new sanctuary is costing quite a bit, something like $20 million. And I said, how many people do you expect to get out of that as far as, you know, new attendance? And he said, we're thinking like a thousand people. And I just sat there with my mouth hitting the ground going, those are the same odds as 2 million and a hundred, the same as 20 million and thousands, same statistical odds well that's crazy well let me just be very confessional here uh will rogers said one time most good judgment comes from having made a lot of bad judgment Mm -hmm. as a senior pastor uh when i came back from the field we wanted to plant churches and so we got involved in some partnerships that were was a quarter of a million dollars in a at a pop we put a full-time staff on the field and uh provided extreme uh, you know, support for them. There were there were good issues in regards to this model, but what we saw was that they were no more successful than the other models that were out there that were kind of more leaner and leaner. Uh-huh. And so I learned through that process, again, that we approach things from our particular North American mindset, which may be neutral, may be positive, may be negative, but we need to have the analytical lens, biblical lens of asking the hard questions continuously of ourselves. Now, you, you we're talking about, you know, the infancy of a church or the childhood of the church, but that church life cycle moves on from that point if it survives and thrives. And each of those life cycles of that pastoral leadership, uh, staff leadership and in the life of that congregation takes on different ramifications in regards to making positive forward movement. Wow. Well, Joe, we're going to take a quick break and then um, I'm going to come back in just a few minutes and let's move on down the life cycle chain. All right, All right bro. All right. We'll see you in just a few minutes. Well, we want to welcome you back to this podcast, and we're talking to Joe Dillon, 
who is uh, works at the International Mission Board. And Joe, just in our last segment, we were talking about infancy and talking about church plants and working with them and helping them to move towards a more missional focus. But you know what? There's the next phase coming up, and I guess you would say it's adolescence. We're moving into that phase of churches. Tell us a little bit about what adolescence looks like, what you've come across, uh, what you've seen in helping them to become more missionally focused. Well, adolescence is a short period of time of transition towards young adulthood. And it's very clear when you're in an adolescent church, when you've done this, you know, for a lot of years in the sense that it is they are now at the point of occupying probably their first facility. There's there's still a lot of excitement, but things like constitution, bylaws, uh, they've run into problems and issues with their growth that require them to think through about operating procedures and how they're going to accomplish things. Uh, sometimes uh, where if it was a very dynamic, you know, church start, now it's kind of two steps forward, one step back type situation. Okay. Uh, tends to be a lot of excitement, but some of the founding leaders of that uh, childhood church have moved on. Uh, they become disillusioned with whatever decisions leadership has made. And so leadership tends to become more insular at this point and more self-protective. Okay. Okay. And how, I mean, gosh, I've seen that too a lot. And, and, and of course, as a guy who doesn't like to do detail type work, when you talk about constitutions, I just, you know, I kind of freak out and I can see how that would be. So you're saying that they focus more on internal type things than they would external type. Well, you know, I've had, I've had two teenagers growing up in my household and, and it's, it's at the point where life becomes all about you. And, and literally this church has so many new things going on in its life. And, and, Mm. uh, and, you know, they're picking up financial responsibilities they haven't had in the past. They're usually adding staff. There's still a high arc of growth, you know, usually in this, this type of situation, uh, and so they've not had an experience. They've not walked this way before. And since mentorship and coaching is not something we do very well, many times these young pastoral leaders don't have older mentors who have kind of walked through this by which they're getting some perspective about where the landmines are in the road. And so they just, okay. they, they're blowing off legs here and there. Uh, okay. they're, they're doing that missionally. They're doing their, they're assuming they've got it right, but their first missions partnership turns out to be a boondoggle from them. And they just come up with, well, we're just not going to do it anymore then. Or oh, wow. how do we do it? You know, how do we find a missionary that understands who we are? How do we develop a relationship? So again, it's just adolescence. Yeah. And so as you're walking with them through adolescence, I mean, what are some of the key things that you would tell them? How would you how would you coach? How would you coach them in that process? Well, one of the things that we do we want to do is is we want to see a more structured formation of Acts 1-8 that is determinative in the life of the congregation to the point that they're open to it. But we really want to know. Uh, how how sufficient is their strategy to engage their community? Do they understand their community? Uh, you know, have they, you know, do they understand the population context, the reality of the evangelistic demographic challenges that surround them? Uh, how have they, what is their strategy for church planning? I mean, is, has mm-hmm. that, was that formed back in their childhood? Has that 
continue to grow and develop? Or are they still waiting for some for young adulthood? A lot of pastors in America will say, well, there's a they'll give you a numerical time that they're going to lead their church to be on mission. Later, huh? Later. A numerical it's, time. It's always later, right. it's always later when more it's money is available. Uh, yeah. So that whole Acts 1-8 paradigm, of course, ultimately for us, it moves into that international partnership. And are, are you taking trips or are you strategic? Which is, you know, a whole nother question. The right. difference between biblical comprehension of ministry and ministry, how that works out in strategy, how that works out in relationships, and how that works out in how you train your people to engage cross-culturally is huge. Success wow. here is either obtained or you begin to perpetuate a pattern, as I've seen, that often will end up into the senior adult age of the church. Wow. Wow. And so, so you know, getting them to see this, have you found that churches in this adolescent age are open to listening uh, to being missional or you know, when I think about a teenager, or when I think about when I was a teenager, um, you know, I was pretty self-focused, and I thought I knew it all and didn't really want to listen to anybody. And and I hate to admit that, but that that's true about my life. Have you found that to be so well, in adolescent churches? We're we're speaking in generalities, and I want to I want to confess that that means that right. no no application covers all applications. Okay, But I would say that the average adolescent church pastor is in what I'd call the warrior stage. Okay. And that's, we can get into that later if you want to, but, but the reality is he's kind of, he's at his peak of energy and vision. He is uh, really engaged. He's got all of the enthusiasm of life, you know, kind of in him. Uh-huh. And he's really on the attack mode. Now, okay. that, now that, that, you know, you, I run into guys who are just wise beyond their years and they just want to listen. They just want to learn. Wow. But a lot of them, a lot of guys just, they're not there. They've had success and everybody's telling them they're successful and they're kind of, you know, thinking, well, maybe I need to be teaching the seminars on how to get here. Uh, okay. uh, so it's just, it's a personality type. It has, yeah. it, again, it has to do where we've come from, how we view ourselves, what life decisions we've made about who we are and our role in all of this. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And I think you kind of, you know, I was going to ask you about the warrior pastor in that warrior stage, but you kind of listed them, you know, uh, right there. And of course that, I guess that reflects what his church becomes too, right? I mean, we are the church. We're the ones that are growing, if they're growing, that is, and they're in this stage. Um, well, I, 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 you would almost mimic their pastor. Is that correct? Like well, you said earlier, I, again, I don't want to be determinative here and say it's got to be this way or that way, but I'd say right. that in my studies and what I've seen is that often the congregation within five or 10 years are pretty much the same age demographic. Okay. As the pastor. So they got they got excited about that new church plant or that church or him, his ministry. And so, uh, you know, they're they're moving through life together. And so he often attract warriors, attract warriors. OK, that makes sense. That's true. I mean, uh, yeah, I've seen that over and over. And, and so in the same vein, um, if the pastor is very missional then that attracts missional people. That's true. And if he's not missional, 
then it's not going to attract missional people and they end up going somewhere else. Yeah, the, the, the wise warrior stage is the guy who has the ability to take off his personality and gifting glasses and look at himself soberly to determine what his strengths are and then lean into his weaknesses. There are things that we naturally see and gravitate towards. It's just like mercy or evangelism. Mm. You know, which gift, which gift is more utilized in the church? Which is more important? Uh, a pastoral guy who cares deeply about the sheep under his care or the guy who just wants to see souls win one for Jesus? Right. We tend to diminish each other, I've noticed in the ministry. Uh-huh. But the reality is, you know, for us to be healthy and full, we've got to understand who we are and understand the life cycle of where we're at in order to maximize and to look for help in areas where we might not have the full picture. So part of your job, I guess I would think in phase, I'll, I'll, I'm not, I'm saying phase two, I'll, I'll call it phase adolescent is really just to get them to look at themselves uh well look at their church you know look at what was is lacking from maybe from the childhood stage look at what they could continue to become because there's still incredible opportunities and openness at this time uh as things it's just like me i'm i'm older and it's harder for me to change and I fight that tendency, but the reality is I do not like change for change's sake. Hmm. But when I was in my 20s and 30s, it was like change. Yeah, bring it, baby. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if it was old, you know, if it was of the previous generation, I, it wasn't it was it was suspect. I mean, I, wow. I wish I hadn't been that way, but I was I was just that way. And if it's cutting edge, I wanted to embrace it. If it was a new seminar, a new thought process, I wanted to entertain it. Yeah. You know, what's funny, Joe, is I've seen a lot of what's cutting edge uh, now is what we did many years ago in church ministry. And you just want to look at them and go, you know, we did that 30 years ago. You know, and it's kind of funny how life cycles happen, how things transfer around and shift around and come back around you know so well i, I mean it, it, yeah, it's not true. always but it seems like it happens yeah as a kid uh growing up i can remember i was it was as frightening the pastoral suit of the day was a lime green leisure suit <laughs> and, you didn't get rid of yours did you? and they all looked alike <laughs> and now it's skinny jeans with tight t-shirts and tats and they all look alike yeah i mean yeah, that's, here, that's well, not a critical comment Really, I don't mean it to be. It's it's just observational that we tend to go. We're in a herd mentality, and it's healthy for pastors to identify their herd and make appropriate judgments on the basis of looking outside of themselves. Yeah, and the problem with skinny jeans is you got to be skinny to wear them. So That's true. We... Some of us have <laughs> outgrown that capacity. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Joe to continue the conversation. So, This completes part one of our interview with Joe Dillon. We hope that you'll tune in to part two.